good to see everyone here. It's uh, great continually having the problem of a lot of full pews. And uh, it's uh, always encouraging. Uh, we have the Carters with us today, and so I encourage you to meet the Carters. Um, I don't know the Carters quite as well as I know Katie's family, but uh, my sons had the privilege of going to school, I think, with the Carter boys, and uh, I think that was a positive influence, and uh, I'm not sure if the phase were a positive influence on them. But uh, there's two families there that, that have a legacy of, of trying to serve the Lord. And uh, since I know one family quite well, I, I will say that uh, one person that had influence on me was Mr. Jesse Godwin, Katie's grandfather. And uh, I thought he was a very good Christian person that, that worked to serve the Lord. And uh, I'm sure he didn't do it perfectly, but he did it on a farm down in Alabama and, and uh, loved deer hunting and uh, used that to, to share the gospel in different ways. And so uh, good memories there with both Mr. and Miss Godwin and their family. So if you have the opportunity, I think they're just vacationing in the area here. And uh, it's, it's good to see their faith and, and their trying to live God's faith and, and work that in their family. This morning, uh, I've been doing some reading and uh, I found some interesting things. And so I want to just talk to you about someone that, you know, you might question, you know, where this person is and what, what's going to happen. And I'm going to describe a few things that occurred in this person's life. First is he was a premeditated murderer. This person was. Um, you can say he runs away from problems, which this this time I, I can't say that I would wouldn't have done anything differently. He goes away, and he basically kind of hides for forty years. And he he goes and and it, and I'll show some of my logic that. Did he really try to pick up and grow himself and develop himself and do that? This person makes excuses. In his old age, he still he, he sits there and he's, he's making excuses of why he can't do what he should be doing. He doesn't follow God's commands. One of the basic commands that God gave people of the Old Testament he, I believe, we'll look at that passage, I believe he honored his wife instead of honoring God. And God was going to kill him for that. And he doesn't treat God as holy in another example. And so if you go down through that list that I just made, we just described a man that over his, his 120 years of life. Abraham, and this is just quick searches in all of <coughs> Abraham's mentioned in the New American Standard 300 times. 
Christ slash Jesus is mentioned 1,500 times. And the person I just described is mentioned 873 times. And the person I just talked about, the premeditated murder, murderer, the person that does not treat God holy, does not honor God by following his commandments, is Moses. So I described one of the greatest people that is heralded as, as someone we should be following. But these are things that are listed in his life. And so we're going to go through some of those. We're going to look at that. And then the application in the end, what really propelled Moses? But the whole point is, here we have a man that throughout his life, this was not all isolated. Some of this he murdered the Egyptian whenever he was 40. He gave excuses to God whenever he was 80. He didn't follow God's commandments. You can debate that whether it's whenever he was in his 60s or 70s. But basically God was going to kill him around whenever he was 80. He didn't treat God holy uh, whenever he was 119. He died, we think, around 120 years of age. And so here's a man that that has, and so we're not going to deal on the positive side. We're going to kind of look at the negative side of Moses. And what can we learn from that? And how can we apply that to our lives? So starting off, turn your Bibles to Exodus 2, verses 11 through 16. We're not going to read all of that. But basically, this is a real quick summary of Moses. And uh, starting in verse 2, starting in chapter 2, you can read where Moses is born, and, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that in some of our conclusions. But verse 12, he, it says, He looked this way and that, and when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Here's a man that, that did not follow God's command of murder. He took it upon himself. He took it, the, the authority of the law into his own hands. Now, we can say that, well, you know, the Egyptian was beating the, the, the uh, Jew, the Israelite. But I still don't think he had the right to strike the Egyptian down. Now, we see here that once Pharaoh found out about this, and which, which he then... You know, he's confronted whenever two Hebrews are fighting there. You can look in verse 13, uh, verse 14, and you can see how they, they uh, you know, used it against him. And he realized that, you know, people are going to know about this. And so what we see there is at about age 40, in verses 15 and 16, he runs off. He goes away from Egypt. He and I, I would say he preserved his life. I, I don't hold that against him. Um, but he didn't he didn't stand up to the problem or the, the consequences to what he did. Uh, he goes out, he meets uh, these folks in the wilderness in, in Midian, Midian. And uh, he becomes a shepherd, basically, is what we can understand there. We, we zoom on over to Exodus 3, uh, starting there in verse 1. 
and we uh, see Moses pastoring the flock. And I'll get on in one of the other things that, that um, well, actually, um, we can talk about it here. He's with Jethro. He's with, with someone uh, seems to be of great stature, a prophet of the Lord. And uh, you don't see here that he learns a lot from him, seems like, because in Exodus 18, Jethro comes back in and, and tells Moses, hold on, you got to divide the work up. you got to distribute, you got to organize this thing. And you would think with that 40 years of him being with his father-in-law that he would have recognized that. But I, I kind of take this as Moses, you know, once he committed the murder in Egypt, he just isolated himself for 40 years. And he just tended the shepherd. He, he didn't put himself out there. He didn't grow, it seems like, there. And you can kind of see that <coughs> starting in the Exodus of the third chapter. Also, after the burning bush and after he's confronted there, and I want to look at some of these excuses that he gives and how God answers him. Because I think that's very important for us today. And that's that's kind of the crooks of the lesson here. Is no matter where we're where we are in life, no matter how we get there, God can use us. But Moses said in verse so Exodus three verse eleven, but Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. And say, who am I? Why are you choosing me? God answers him in verse 12. Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. And so what we have here is, why are you choosing me? And God says... <laughs> I will be with you. And this burning bush is the sign that I'm with you. Now that should be the end of the story, right? But we see Moses here doesn't stop there. This is he does not want to go. He is I think so maybe uh maybe you are not in that situation, but I can I can reflect in my life where I can make excuses. I can say I can't do this. Reagan was, you know, this morning we were talking about song leading, and I this was not part of my lesson, but I'm gonna tell the story just because it, this is cute. It's an excuse. Um, uh, yes, I have sat in classes with R. J. Stevenson. He's probably a great teacher, but he failed. He failed. Uh, very well uh, whenever he was teaching Auburn because I just didn't didn't learn it. The only reason I learned how to beat songs is because I said, you know, my sons have got to see me doing it so that they'll do it. And I learned to beat songs. Now, one thing I will say, I still cannot carry a tune, but I will lead singing, but I won't blow the pitch pipe because I can never get that right, and I don't know why that is, but Sandra sat there on the piano and taps things and tried to get me to sing, and I just can't do that. But the whole point is, Earlier in my life, I couldn't get a lot of that stuff down, and that was an excuse. I think we all do that, and I think Abraham, uh, Moses is no different here in his uh, responses. The second excuse he comes up with, and Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, 
I will say in verse 13, I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And so the Moses understood that the Jews knew who God was. And so, in verse 14, he says, God said, Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am as I am has sent me to you. Uh, God, Father, said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. And so, uh, Moses, I think, in my opinion, he, he understood that, but God entertains that. And then excuse number three, Moses said, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. Now, remember the first excuse he said the burning bush is a sign. Who was Moses depending upon? Moses was just like I am. I'm depending on me. He's not recognizing the sign of the burning bushes from God and that he's God's messenger. It's not about him. He's still probably replaying things from years past. And at this time, then God entertains Moses even more and he gives him three signs. He actually gives him two signs here. One about throwing his staff down, turning into a serpent. Secondly, uh, the, the hand of leprosy. And then thirdly, he says, if they don't believe those two, then you know, take some water and I'll turn it to blood out of the mouth. And so he gives him three things here in which now he's gone past the burning bush and has done uh, three other things. And so you can see that in Exodus 4, 2 through 9, what I just described there. But notice Abraham is still reflecting in his questions. Um, what if they don't listen to me? Exodus 4 10 uh, verses 10 we see that Moses then says please Lord I have never been eloquent neither recently nor in time past nor since you have spoken to your servant for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue I cannot go be your spokesman to Pharaoh because I'm not an eloquent speaker and I'm slow with my tongue and so notice the Lord comes back and says, The Lord said, Who has made man's mouth, or who makes him mute? In verse 11, And deep and seeing or blind, is it not I, the Lord? Verse 12 of chapter 4, Now then go, and even I will be your mouth, and teach you what you are to say. God's, here again, I'm going to give you the words. I'm going to do it for you. Don't worry, you go. I'm going to do it for you. Verse 13. 
we see Moses coming back. And what he said, Please, Lord, now send the message for by whomever you will, Aaron to be Moses. But Moses is about these. Um, the Lord just told him, Hey, I'm going to give it to you. No. Let somebody else do it. In verse 14, we see the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. And he said, Is there not your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently, and moreover, behold, he is coming out to meet you. When he, say, he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. And so the point here is, do you notice that God's anger is there? So we've, we've, I, you can, you can kind of take this interaction with God and Moses. You can say there's five excuses or five things there. Or you, I, I've got 4A and 4B. Uh, for the last two there because they're kind of on a similar note. <clears throat> but the whole point is Moses is working to try to get out of this. And he's making every excuse and trying to come up with everything to get himself out of that. Now, I can sympathize with Moses on some things. You know, there's times that I, I get slated. All right, you gotta get, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta head down this direction. And I, you know, I just roll my eyes sometimes and say, I really don't want to go, but that's that's where I got to go. And I'm not talking about religious stuff. I'm just talking about world business. And we all can make excuses, or we can say uh, we're going that direction and look for help. But Moses here, and I think the thing that I see in some of these excuses is he's looking to himself. He doesn't recognize God's power, and I think that's. If there's nothing else you get out of this lesson, well, that's what we're going to talk about at the end. Um, so the next item I want to go to, after we, you know, so that's the excuses. Uh, he honors his wife over God. And so there's only a few passages here and uh, that we're going to talk about. But before we go there, just to remind you back in Genesis 17 whenever God is, God is making the covenant with Abraham in verses 9 through 12 God distinctly tells Abraham God said further and this is uh, in Genesis 17 verses 9 through 12 God said further to Abraham now as for you you shall keep my commandment covenant you and your descendants after you throughout their generations this is my covenant you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. And so notice descendants. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh and the foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is, who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generation, a servant who is born in the house and who is uh, bought with money, from any foreigner who is not of your descendants shall be circumcised also. So, so the whole point here is there is a distinct covenant between God and the Israelites that starts with Abraham. Now I will acknowledge this is 500 years later. I think there's a lesson that there's application there. God's unchanging, right? He made a covenant. He expects you to stay with it as we go into this next conversation here. In Exodus, the fourth chapter, verses 24 through 26, we don't have a lot about this. We only have these three verses. Now this is after the burning bush, after he's given the excuses. He's gone back 
He's talked to his father-in-law. He's got Sabora. He's got his, I'm assuming his two sons is what I'm assuming here. And, and they're headed now towards Egypt. And in verse 24, now it came about at the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. The Lord sought to put Moses to death. So why? Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet. And she said, you are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone at that time. Uh, at that time, she said, you're a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. And so you can read a lot of different things. Sarah and I have had several conversations. She looks at it a little bit differently. Uh, that Zipporah was frustrated because... Moses didn't do his job in, in, in uh, circumcising. I've looked at a few other commentaries and a few other folks' opinion, which this is an opinion, but I just think in this case here, Zipporah didn't want her son circumcised. And Moses adhered to that. And so here they are going back to Egypt, and he's not followed the commands of God. And God says to strike him down. It's just to kill him. And uh, so the son is, is, is circumcised. But the whole point is, Moses didn't do his job. And so the last thing I wanted to kind of point out on Moses is, is in this, so Moses is about 80 at that time, in which now, you know, between that time and, and the end of his life, he makes this other big blunder. Um... And this is at the waters, waters of uh, Meribah. And if you take a look at Numbers, I believe it's Numbers 21. For some reason my verse is not there. Uh, Numbers 20, verses 8 through 13, you see this story. And basically, uh, you know, earlier in the 40 years of, of wandering, Moses um, struck rock. And this time, he's told to go speak to a rock. But I want to point out here in verse 12, uh, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Now remember in Leviticus, um, I think chapter 10, I should have wrote that down, but in Leviticus number, uh, chapter 10, Nadab and Abihu were destroyed because they didn't treat God as holy, right? The same, so you didn't treat me holy in the sight of the children of Israel. So here, God did not destroy Moses like he did Nadab and Abihu. But he did deal a consequence to Moses and didn't allow him to go into the promised land. And I think there's several lessons that can be learned there. Now, some of this is clay supposition because we don't have verses. But to me, I, I think about Moses in the 40 years. In the 40 years, whether it's the starting of the journey out, you know, after you know he works with Pharaoh and finally gets Pharaoh to allow the people to go. You know, we've we've talked about. You know, the children of Israel being in between the Red Sea and, and the Egyptian army and the faith that Moses showed there. We see 
All the things that Moses put up with for 40 years. You know, I don't imagine Moses in that 40 years, uh, you know, having two weeks out of the year that he gets to go to Club Med and go sit on the shores of the Mediterranean and, and relax. I don't, I don't see that. I don't see that illustrated here. So think about 40 years of leading not 100,000. And I always estimate this. We, we only have the number of men that came out of Egypt, which was 600,000. And I always multiply by, you know, okay, all of them had a wife. And, and then, so, you know, there's a number of kids. So I always put it somewhere a million, half, two million people. I don't know. But the whole point is, Moses is leading this group of people where there are no natural resources from the perspective of water, food, for 40 years. And so for 40 years, he's putting up with this. I think we, you know, to me, I can relate to some of, you know, some of his mistakes. I can relate to all the excuses he's given. Who wants at age 80 go lead a group of people that 40 years earlier was rejecting you? I can understand that. But that wasn't God's plan for Moses. The whole point I'm trying to make here is when we look at Moses' life and the negative side of Moses' life, whenever Moses depended on Moses, he was not successful. Well, whenever Moses depended upon God for those 40 years to lead the people through the wilderness, he was successful. So as we look at Moses, let's turn to the New Testament. Let's, let's just see, uh, you know, see Hebrews 11. We see he's he's here in Hebrews 11 and described. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's I think that's back to his parents' faith there. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure the hardship, the ill treatment, with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. Verse 26, Consider the approach, reproach Christ's great, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. And by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. And so now we see this person that we just looked at, this murderer, premeditated murderer, this person who probably tries, in my opinion, to escape reality. Um, I can relate to Moses. You know, there's times I, I just, I want to go to the woods. I don't want to be bothered with anybody. I don't want to be bothered with problems. And I think that's what Moses was doing for 40 years. Well, God let him do that for 40 years. And then he said, all right, you got to come back and do what I need you to do. And you see that, that Moses' faith, he, he had great faith. We always talk about that. But we also see these other glimpses into Moses' life. And the most interesting story to me about Moses is, and this is probably where I want to, you know, 
this is where I, you know, if, if I can make it to heaven and I can have that conversation, the transfiguration. And so here we have this man that, most, that God used, and then for him to show the New Testament that this is my son, who does he use? He uses Moses and Elijah. So in Matthew 17, 1 through 5, we see there uh, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking to them. Now I can kind of understand why Moses was there and Elijah, I, I still have a few questions of why in my mind. But the whole point is, is who is going to be the witness for God that this is his son and this is his chosen one? It was Moses. And so Moses made a number of these mistakes in the past, but God still used him. So the question is, now turn to Philippians 4.13. We, we use this passage a lot. Now I want you to think about Moses' life. I want you to think about your life. And I want you to think about this passage. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, whenever Moses was talking to God at the burning bush, he was always making the excuse from his perspective. But here it says, who's going to strengthen each one of us today? It's not clay. Is God. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. How do you think Moses held on for 40 years? 40 years of problems. I don't think many days he woke up and the children of Israel there at his door throwing a party for him. I think he woke up and a problem was standing at his door for 40 years. Now I want you to think about leading a couple of million people through a wilderness in a desert area, no resources, totally dependent upon God. It makes our problems look pretty small. But the whole point is, if you go back to Philippians, Who's going to strengthen us with our problems? Do we wake up in the morning asking God to help us get through this day? Do we ask God for the wisdom to make the decisions we need to make? Do we ask God to help us to lead our families? Do we ask, do we put it on God to help us? Or are we totally trying to take control? And I want to tell you that when Moses failed, he was trying to do it. When Moses succeeded, he was depending on God. And now how do we do that every day as Christians? Whenever you have a problem, whenever you're going to have to do something, how do you solve that? What's your first thing you should do? Should be able to? I'm going to suggest to you that prayer should be the first thing. The second thing 
is what are the scriptures? What is God telling me to do? What is God telling me to do? That should be the... I don't think there's anything else. Now, I think whenever we think about... Now, prayer... Do we sit down and do we pray about the decisions, the major decisions, the minor decisions in our life? But whenever we think about going to God's Word, I, I do believe phoning a friend. I do believe saying, hey, I think you have more wisdom in this area. What, is, what do you think the Scriptures say? And notice I didn't say, what do you think? Notice I said, what do you think the Scriptures are saying in this area? What is God wanting me to do? Because if we believe Philippians 4.13, and I can do all things, Him who strengthens me, that takes great faith. And we see where Moses had great faith, but we also see where Moses failed. And it's all about depending on God. And so in our prayers and in our scriptures, I cannot emphasize enough in today's world, whenever you're making a choice and whenever we see things, because we're bombarded every day right now in opposite what the Scriptures are saying. Are you going to the Scriptures? What does God want me to do? And we got to have Moses' faith. We read in Hebrews. We're told of his faith. We see his faith. We see his failures, but we also see his faith. And our faith has to be focused on God, reading the Scriptures, and we're not going to know the outcome. You know, one of the things I'm always amazed is in the minor and major prophets, they always go back to the story of the Exodus of, of Egypt to show what God had done. And you know what? God didn't tell me to map out my life and to have my plans and to know every and know how it's going to come. My job is to have enough faith that whenever God tells me to speak to the rock, I speak to the rock. I don't hit the rock. Now, that seems pretty easy, but I think it's pretty hard in today's world because we're not going to know the outcome. And we're going to be told that the outcome is going to be very negative. So there's two things we need to do to fulfill Philippians 4.13. We need to rely on Him. He's the one that's going to give us the strength. And we do that by prayer, and we do that by going to His Word. That's the lesson for today. If anyone here that needs to obey the Gospel, if there's anyone here that needs to uh, repent of your sins, you know, I don't, I don't think, whenever I think about Moses, and I think Moses was a humble man. And I think at 119, whenever he struck the rock out of, I think, frustration. Do you not think that night, after God rebuked him, can you think about the repentance, the penitent heart that he had? Do we have that heart today? And so whenever we as Christians and we sin, we fall short, are we repenting that way? Because 
He was there on the transfiguration. You know, let's just say at death, time stops. So if we can get in that philosophy, you can come to the house on Friday night and we can talk about that. <coughs> but from his death to the next moment that we see Moses, you know, within a year there, he's, he's totally messed up to where he lost the promised land to now he's there being the witness for Christ. That takes repentance. That takes a humble heart. And so when we talk about these invitations at the end, we're no different than anyone else. We sin, we fall short, we just have to repent. That's, we want to be back in God's grace. We all sin, we all fall short. We all need that forgiveness. So if anyone needs the prayers of the congregation or to be baptized, we now offer this invitation to the Bible.